Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 174, Middlemarch, part 5. Today, we continue our march through Middlemarch wow. as we read... Wow, you're better than that. <laughs> Clever. You're better than that. You're better than that. Book 5, <laughs> The Dead Hand. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We are Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, our novelist and critic Todd Goldberg, and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. I just I feel so bad for the listeners. Like they heard <laughs> that, and at least at you home, didn't say we were marching through the middle. Right. That's well, true. In fact, we are marching through yeah. the middle. Well, I, I realize like every time I've started to do the introduction, I'm always like tempted to talk about it being a slog or being <laughs> yeah. long. And it's I don't want to imply that because I'm, it's actually moving pretty quickly for me yeah. now. It's just that it's long, you know, and yes. I so I don't want to be negative. So March actually felt about right. If I had said death march, you know. <laughs> wow, we're making it worse. <laughs> I mean, there are parts in the book that are like walking through gravel with molasses on your feet. Yeah, so let's talk about what, what what part are you thinking of in book five um, that was like that? You know, actually, book five is pretty quick moving because there's a lot of big plot points in it. Yeah, um, yeah. So this was actually a speedier uh, part of it. And it actually You guys is the have most... said that. I just want to stop and say, the two of you have said that every, <laughs> every single time. time since the first week. Well, actually, this, it's a... this is pretty quick. <laughs> This, well, this part is this part is notably absent of Dorothea, and Dorothea spends a lot of her time thinking and pondering and woe is meing through her fucking pages, and that tends to drag the pace down. There is some of the again like dreadful political stuff, but then it pays off. Yeah, because it turns out that we've been told all this political stuff that I've summarily forgotten immediately exactly. after reading it that there's a large reason why it's included in the book and not just for local color there's yeah that's why i started to get yeah. scared because you know once it once it became apparent that like it's going to be a big part of um you know uh oh see i can't even that mr brook running for office right. and the tories and the Whigs, like all of that stuff it's just my eyes glaze over and i'm like i don't need to know all the details about this and i've also been the same way about most of the hospital stuff i'm like right i don't need to know all the details about it but like this book makes it apparent that like the actual ins and outs of who's voting for the hospital or who you know what they think of lattice law uh, I'm sorry, Lydgate, which again, I keep confusing those yeah. two. Yeah, she needed a better editor. Like, you don't have Ugh. two names that are very similar, particularly not in a book where every fucking person has the same fucking last name, because everyone's yeah. fucking everyone's sister in this. <laughs> so honestly, do either of you know what is happening with the hospital situation? Like, can you, like, I, I think I could do, like, a really generic, like, there's okay. a new hospital being built, yeah. and 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 Lydgate is the new doctor in town. And so he's going to take the position of running this new hospital, and that's politically perilous. Right. Is that? Yes. Because so he's not from Lid the area. So I cannot go into any more detail than that. The important <laughs> thing, I mean, in general, I agree that this is the hardest part of this. And I am fascinated by that because, well, I'll get into that in a second. But to answer your question, Lydgate needs, he needs money. And he needs support and he needs other doctors to work at the hospital. So right. 
the problem with um, this tiny town is that everybody's married to everybody's sister, as Todd just said, <laughs> in a different way. Um, and personal personal feelings and political feelings are interfering with the building of the hospital and the clergy. Um, yeah. All of these things, money, politics, medicine, and religion are mixed up together. Um, and Lydgate has a problem in that he's too irritating because he's so sure of himself and not tactful at all that everybody doesn't like him and he's annoying. Um, but he's the one. He's who... like that know-it-all Dr. Fauci. Yes. <laughs> so this is exactly there you go. where oh I'm going here. So these parts, That's amazing. we all agree these parts are horribly boring. But when you yeah. summarize them, it is like... <laughs> it's I actually didn't find it boring when the, the sequence in this book that we read today, the, um, the, the following the rumor mill and like how like little casual conversations between a husband yep. and a wife become facts mm-hmm. for the whole like landscape of Middlemarch. I thought that was great. And it was super entertaining to be like, oh yeah, you know, it was about four pages there just tracking like how he got this reputation. And but beyond- Lydgate's not bothered by it, right? He's not like, no, he's no, kind he's of like- Because like, he thinks he's right. Yeah. He knows he's right. Right, right. Um, and he's but, willing to play the game for the greater good. Like, look, if I yeah, got to take some slings and arrows, that's yeah. great. I'm going to open up this fever hospital. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, like, I, we're in a moment where politics, medicine, money, and religion are so intermingled as yeah. to be, we're all being like, this is boring in this book. And then tur- closing the book and going <laughs> online out. and reading about these four <laughs> things. To an obsessive right. degree. Yes, you're so, <laughs> so right. Is. You are so right. <laughs> but that's the problem is that these very important subjects are kind of boring to think about right. and read about. You end up having boring scientists and boring doctors like Fauci who have spent their entire life on these boring subjects. I, yeah. and we I need to listen to them right now. Guys, oh, I that's such a good point. Oh I my literally God. got into an argument on a local politician who I know's Facebook page with a priest who, because he called uh, the Riverside County medical supervisor a know-it-all. And this know-it-all is telling me that I can't have services. And I was yes. like, yes, yes, he's a know-it-all. He, kn- he knows things about diseases that you don't know. Like, you're working on a theory that there's God. He knows there's a virus. And then I got kicked off Facebook for a week. Okay. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean, though, right? We're all like, blah, yeah, blah, blah, that's blah. Super, get to the marriage plots. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> it's uh, right. it's really sobering. I will. I want to talk, the, the fever stuff, I actually don't find that hard, but the, uh, the elections. Political. And it's important to understand yeah. that this was a period piece even when she wrote it. Um, we said that I right. think in the first episode, but she's coming. Yeah, because she's making history. references. Yeah, she made references to some sort of like dry election or dry. You know, and I was like, I, I feel like that's something I should know. But yeah, yeah it's, it was interesting that she's looking back thirty years or so, right? Um, but there was one when Mr. Brooke is giving his like horrifying speech. Um, <laughs> I loved that beat. And you know, there's an effigy of himself being burned. <laughs> Um, now, I think Mr. Brooke is an okay dude, but this passage, oh my god, I can't find it, I'm gonna freak out, um, was so Trumpy 
in the way that he was like interrupting himself, just the cadence of it. Yep. That I, I oh, was yeah. like, he's just consumed. talking nonsense. Right. Yeah. yeah. Shoot, where is it? Uh, there's not a lot of underlining in these parts because I was just trying to focus. Oh, well, I lost it, but... We, I got it. We must look all over the globe. Observation with extensive view. Must look yes. everywhere, from China to Peru, as somebody <laughs> says. Johnson, I think. The Rambler, you know. This is what I have done to a certain point, not as far as Peru. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I've not always stayed at home. I saw it wouldn't do. I've been in the Levant, where some of the middle marchers... Do, yeah, it's like amazing. Yeah, he's just rambling and can't find his way, and they describe it as if he's like lost at sea, and he'll, he'll eventually get back to it, but then right. they start throwing eggs. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great. I, I and was so, like, this is our well, moment. Yeah. What we haven't yet discussed is that there's a huge significant plot point with, in fact, Dorothea. Yes. Yes. Where her we, aged we 46-year-old husband, <laughs> someone on Twitter uh, was like, you guys, it, if you just do the math, it, it's Kazabon is 46 years old. Is that true? He's really yeah. only 46? Yeah. Because oh, Dorothea's 19 and he's 20 and 7 years older than her. <laughs> so that makes him 46 or three years younger than me. Um, and so so Casabon and Dorothea, as you might recall from the last episode, they're having sort of these, they're, they're having a fight. And then Casabon has a fatty heart, it's determined. And everything's sort of like their relationship is on the rocks. So in this uh, section... Dorothea basically comes to the conclusion of, look, I'm in this shit. I'm going to see it through. I'm going to love this guy. I'm going to do whatever I can. Casabon, meanwhile, is like, I don't trust this girl. I don't even, I'm not even sure I really like this girl. And I don't think she cares if I live or die. This, mm. this girl's, she's out of my life. She's out of my life. I'm going to take a walk. No, wait a second. You're skipping something very yeah, important. There's, 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 there's a very... He he does something almost like worse than that. Yeah. He does the worst thing he can he, ba- he basically makes her promise Not to finish his him. book. Well, yes. no, before that. Because, <laughs> right. I mean, the will is like the second. Right. But the, before that, he basically says, it's not good enough to me that you're going to dedicate your entire life to my musty books and like you my, write my shitty book. My life. Index. You have to write my book for the rest of your life. You have to index you are going my to book doing, for the rest you have to of your life. Index yeah. my book for the rest of your life after I die. And she and she can't and for the first time she can't say she'll do it. It's a I could I was like that is some bullshit right there. It's yeah. like it's not good enough that you married me. You have to you know and then the will of course which is the second betrayal. Yeah. So I mean, the will so he dies. He dies in a stressed out position, which I didn't. He dies in a stressed out position, sitting in a chair in a field, holding his his brow. And you're kind of relieved because oh, yeah. you don't Fuck want her guy. to have to make this promise. <laughs> no. You're like, don't do it. But she's about to do it. She's about to say yes. Yeah, I guess. So Dorothy, and she's so ter- yeah. Dorothy oh. is basically like, if this is my life, so be it. Like, fine. I will. I will fucking index your glossary until my dying day. <laughs> and the thing about knowing Dorothea as well as we do now, we know that she can't say yes to him and not do it after right. he yes, dies. Yes, exactly. Because be- it's so interesting because I was like, you know, this is not something that I would have known if they started the book here. But because we spent so much time with this character, she is going to hold herself to her promise until she dies. Right. And that's why she- that's why she's so devastating that he makes her do it because he knows her as well as... In the same way as we do. And it's so... Oh, sorry. Go on. So, Casabon mm-hmm. takes the long dirt nap. Yep. And they read his will. And one of the contingencies of his will 
is that Dorothea is to be taken care of unless she marries again. And if she marries again, she gets nothing. Well, no, specifically if she marries Ladislaw. Ladislaw. She can marry again. She's just he's just pinpointed the the rival and like and spelled it out. So then the rumor mill is going to pick up on it. It's horrible. So his beautiful curl dappled mullet or sorry, sun dappled curl mullet can never love her. (laughs) It's so sad. Uh, but then I loved that the irony is it's the first time that Do- because of the will, it's the first time Dorothea is able to imagine Will as her lover. Right. So Kazaban actually made the thing that he was most fear- fearful of come to life because of his actions. So I love that. I loved that. Kazaban, it turns out, not a great guy. Not a good guy. <laughs> not a good husband in life nor in death. <laughs> Okay, so I think the time has come for us to fully discuss Ladislaw. He's finally, you know, given some interior time in this instead of Mm -hmm. being a pretty boy. Um, And I really, really liked his little chapters um, and really fleshing him out. I thought he was annoying and kind of a fuckboy, but I've changed my mind. (laughs) Yeah, no, he's intelligent and like his political stuff seems to be, you know, going well. <laughs> Am I wrong? Uh, Am I wrong? Kind no. of a fuck boy. No. But well, he was always clever. I mean, yeah. I, I, I thought I, I remember I had positive associations because he and Dorothea, their conversations were sophisticated and yeah. clever. But yeah, like as far as like his life aspirations or what he was doing in Middlemarch, it all seemed a little kind of shady or like just playboyish and now it's like no he's like trying to be a respectful person and thinking about a political career and mm-hmm. you know in the future and he's a good writer apparently and he's bringing you know g- those skills to bear and and he's really helpful to mr brooke who seems a little lost so it's and all, he's always like, looking for people's yeah. rugs to lie on which right. i thought was really funny <laughs> you know he starts out he starts off as timothy chalamet yeah and then he becomes paul rudd he becomes paul rudd <laughs> Uh, wow, that's uh, some that's really generous. That's really, really generous. Um, but yeah. Did... And then eventually he'll become Paul Reiser. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think like the writing, I, I'm looking at it right now, which is why I'm talking so slowly, um, is really nice around him because he could easily just be, you know, I'm in love with her. I can't wait for this guy right. to die. Um, but George Eliot spends a lot of time explaining that he didn't want Casabon to die um, because essentially because Ladislaw has such a romantic idea of his life that he doesn't want anything to change including this, you know, love triangle. So right. yeah. Um, I just love that. Here we go. Uh, Will, we know, could not bear the thought. Oh, I also underline this. She starts writing we know, like we're all yeah. telling this mm-hmm. story together in this book, which I yeah, really love. Yeah, I did too. It's a yeah. Strange, yeah, it's a strange bit. Will, we know, could not bear the thought of any flaw appearing in his crystal. He was at once exasperated and delighted by the calm freedom with which Dorothea looked at him and spoke to him. And there was something so exquisite in thinking of her just as she was that he could not, for, uh, that he could not long for a change which must somehow change her. 
Do we not shun the street version of a fine melody or shrink from the news that the rarity, some bit of chiseling or engraving perhaps, which we have dwelt on, even with exaltation in the trouble it has cost us to snatch glimpses of it, is really not an uncommon thing and may be obtained as an everyday possession? I love that. Oh, so good. good. Yeah. Yeah. I was just happy he got, got some of these pages of the deep thought. Yeah. And then, um, so all that happens, and that's all interesting. And then the book for about a chapter becomes Great Expectations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It kind of comes out of nowhere. But Completely it's... inexplicably, it, it becomes... It did feel Dickensian. Yeah. It felt Dickensian. It also reminded me of, like, a, a Faulkner plot, because I feel like there's always some, uh, you know, bastard child out there who's extorting yeah. somebody for money in Faulkner, too. So this character, Bolstrode, is that how you say his name? Bolstrode? Yeah. Um, yeah. Who I religious figure didn't really have any memory of. <laughs> he's always uh, been around giving got, people money and getting votes and stuff. Yeah, he's he's been on the he's been on the, the side of things. Um, apparently, ten years previous, he had paid off a bit of a grifter named Raffles <laughs> to go to America and hide the truth of a uh, of an affair that Bolstrode had had. Um, and now Raffles has shown back up, um, basically as Magwitch in <laughs> Great Expectations, mm-hmm. to throw a wrench into all the goings-on inside of Middlemarch. He has some great insults that he throws around. He calls Bolstrode a knob, <laughs> which, I, which I quite enjoyed. Well, I also just love that, that she manages to make b- being called Nick, which is his name. Yeah. She, he, she manages to make that like an insult. Yeah. You know, that this guy is just so friendly, to overly friendly with, with Bolstrode. It's like every time you read it, you're like, ooh. My, my favorite line is when... He is condemned to breakfast with him. <laughs> I was line. like, "That is brilliant." I, yeah, it was. He's because he, he, he when he first meets R- Raffles, Raffles is drunk, and he's like, "I'll talk to you tomorrow morning." And he goes away, and then uh, the next morning he's coming back, and he goes, he sees Mister Raffles with whom he was condemned to breakfast. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm going to use that." There's uh, there's also just this great description. Uh, Bolstrode felt a shuddering nausea. <laughs> yeah. All, all because of conversation that he's having with this guy. Bullshit feels this way. It's just a, like, it's not just nausea. It's a shuddering nausea. Yeah. But do you quite understand why? I mean, he, so the whole thing is that Bullshit has acquired the property that was left in the will from Featherstone, right? right. Yeah. And so what is, and he's going to do this to create a church or to create some sort of church community there. Okay. And he's afraid. Yeah. So Featherstone left it to rig this random right. frog guy um right. who, who really just wants him. to be a money money exchanger right. yeah so he I love that little sells detail the house like, yeah this right. is, i love that this that, like sad dream that he has to just have the power over money it's yeah like, oh, it's, it's like um, not even that powerful of a position dude and you don't have to work another day in your life yeah. but that's what he wants it's like okay so oh, Bolstro just buys this estate as his country home or whatever the uh, all of the stuff about the clergy, there's a church attached to Cosbon's property, and uh, Lydgate convinces Dorothea to install, what's his face, uh, Fairbrother, 
the guy who also mm. has a crush on Mary Garth. It's all coming together, right. you guys. It's all right. coming yeah. together. Yeah. <laughs> um, gotcha. Kind of. If I can remember who these people Fair are. Brother, I didn't know, quite know how to position him into all this. Whenever he came up, I was like, wait, am I supposed to know him? So, yeah, okay. another so person. This is good. And to Todd's yeah. So point, he's been installed at the church through by Dorothea. Yeah. Gotcha. At, at Lydgate's urging. There's a lot of politics gotcha. uh, around the a lot of urging involved in this. Right. Right. And she's also giving 200 pounds. Right. She has $200 to give away. All right. Dollars. So American. Dollars. Pounds. Such an American. <laughs> um, so anyway, Bolstro She's got $50 is... in Instacart that she can <laughs> she can send a... A gift card yeah, she for a gift Amazon. Card to Instacart. Here, go buy yourself a, a fucking church. <laughs> um... So Balstrode's just basically got this summer home and Raffles just wanders up to it while he's, you know, planning his Bolstrode, But Bolstrode had basically sent him to America for what he thought would be the rest of his life because Raffles yeah. knew the secret and Bolstrode got rid of him. Right. And now he's extorting him for money. And now, now he's, he's extorting, extorting him for money. Yeah. And yep. he's telling us, the readers, and later... I'm sure other people uh, uh-huh. that Bulstrode had an affair with Ladislaw's grandma, I think. Right. Yeah, that was connection was very hard for me. So it's actually that he is Ladislaw's grandfather? A or step-grandfather. Actual... Step-grandfather. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's a so, very tenuous relationship that they're hiding. But right, because impl- it wasn't that he it wasn't that he had a child out of wedlock with this woman. It was that she couldn't find her son or something. Like right. that's what I was trying to. And he had he, he had he yeah he hid them. yeah, but it wasn't his kid. No, it was just a woman he had an affair with and her daughter. That's right. So he is. It's it's implied that he owes something. To, oh, I think he, no, here's what it is. He hid, um, and I'm sorry, I don't remember what's coming out of my memory. Her name's Sarah, right? Sarah is Ladislaw's mother. Right. So I think Bolstrode has not uh, been truthful with where the inheritance should go. I think it went to him and not Sarah and Will Ladislaw. Gotcha. There's inheritance drama. That's that's what's the core of this. Is Ladislaw, right. as we know, so has no money. Right. He has no money, but he's just a cool poet who now writes political speeches. Classic. <laughs> yep. I know a couple if of If you were alive today. Shalomate a rod. If you were alive today, he'd have a podcast with those guys that work for Obama. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, That's amazing. So, I mean, the narrative oh, so is glad moving you could do that towards summary. Ladislaw getting his own money. Um, right. Nice. But Bolstrode is after, very shady. Raffles can't remember his name. So Raffles is like, I remember that there's a man involved, and I think his name is L. And we're like, Lydgate? Is it Lydgate? Is it Lydgate? Could it be Lydgate? It might be Lydgate. Could be Lydgate. And he's sort of <laughs> wandering around in the scene. Yeah. He's wandering <laughs> around the scene, like, if only my memory could tell me who is this man? Something with an L. As many names with L's. Ah. Then he says, with an actual Lattice. exclamation point, Ladislaw. And, and our uh, hearts drop. That action of memory, which he had tried. 
to set going and had abandoned in despair had suddenly completed itself without conscious effort. A common experience, agreeable as a completed sneeze, even if the name remembered is of no value. Well, it's of value to us. Yeah, thank God. Dear reader. Yeah. Um, Ladislaw. I mean, I think this is all, it's all pretty dramatic and ridiculous. Um, yeah. And fun. It could all be solved with all, if everyone just sat down and had an honest conversation about who's been fucking who. But they're not going <laughs> yep. to. Because this is important. They're not going to. This, I think what is obviously the driving force behind all of this novel is these inheritances and 200 pounds a year and a parish that some random widow assigns you like these are life or death these are you feed your family right. you don't feed your family your right. adorable children are educated or they work in a field i mean these are huge right. co- we're seeing gossip uh turn into lively and the opposite of that so um, but this is something i do think about like when i read all the jane austen stuff uh last summer which seems like 30 years ago now um i often had the thought of this this could all be solved if everyone got into a room and someone just said look there's been a misunderstanding You like her, she likes you. When have you this one doesn't ever like that one. known <laughs> any human beings to do that? <laughs> or I I mean I guess that would be like that would put the romantic comedy genre of film out of business and every Hallmark Christmas movie would just screech to a halt. I I'm sorry. All drama. Right. All drama. That's I'm, sorry. The- I'm sorry, there's been a misunderstanding. And be like, oh, so that's it? The show's yeah. over, <laughs> but no. It, I, I think I think the point is that so many of the um, the big plot points in this in this novel are just like a slip of paper right. left yeah. in a drawer, you know, a yeah. will or a like so, or seemingly offhand uh, conversation between you know, like nobody's really like like they're not even like rushing to talk to each other half the time. They're just kind of running into one another right. and like having these like little asides that then devastate somebody two houses away. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty tragic. Like it just makes my, my feeling like after reading this, this book is particularly is like middle March as a, as a whole is a pretty cynical book, mm-hmm. you know, like everybody's kind of like, I don't, I'm like, nobody's position in life is very good. They're all, mm-hmm. they're all under immense pressure and, and they're all, their personal lives are at odds with their exterior you know public life whatever whether that's their job or their husband or their duty to their husband it's like it makes them miserable and they're just beholden to these these standards it's like oh it's just so tragic um and the book is really you know cynical about that it's 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 a dark view of of human beings in general it feels like it's it's kind of overwhelming and of of small town life you know yeah Yeah, particularly of small town life but you know i i think so this is the other weird experience I had while reading this the other day um, is like, there's no Winesburg, Ohio without Middlemarch. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no book which and Winesburg, Ohio, by the way, which we could have read in two hours. It's like 168 pages. Um, but it's also, so in Winesburg, Ohio, if you haven't read it, listeners, um, there's this idea of the grotesques, these people that, are grotesque that live in this city. Um, and that is all that lives in the city of Middlemarch. It's a city of grotesques. Um, so I'm sort of fascinated to see, um, to go back to um, 
to Winesburg, Ohio. Maybe if there's sort of like a, a really quick pandemic next year, like <laughs> a long weekend, like a, like a, a chick- sort of weekend, like virus. a chicken pox pandemic. <laughs> maybe Jesus. just like riders Dip into Winesburg, riders butt sick for a weekend, and we read <laughs> Winesburg, Ohio, and everyone in America has to stay in their homes. <laughs> yeah, because of my butt sickness, yeah. that would be pretty. <laughs> Rachel Maddow's on. Look, Ryder Strong is butt sick. We need everyone in their lockdown. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> um, so the next book, book six. So now we're at yeah, the what, portion are we, what of, are we excited about? What are we What are we looking forward to? Well, here? here's what I'm looking forward to. The we're now in the portion of the book where actually the last three books are the length of an actual book. It's 300 pages. Yep. So book six is entitled "The Widow and the Wife." Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fascinated to see what happens with Dorothea. I like I like that in Medius Res. Um, George Eliot has decided I need to actually throw in a villain, an actual villain, <laughs> with this Raffles character. She was like, "Oh well." Oh, you think he's gonna come back? I think he was kind of a one-off. Oh no, just no, to he's like in. stress out. Oh, okay, he's okay, gotta cool. Because be he's he's a disruptor. Like he's the right. thing that's yeah. disrupting everything. So he's gonna right. have to be there. Um, yeah. So we're now at the we're uh, on the plot outline diagram. We are actually pretty close to the climax, even though. We still have 300 pages to go. Um, Everything's been set up. All of the consequences have been out there. If you don't do this, this is going to happen. You know, if you do do this, that's going to happen. So now it's all going to fall apart. Yeah, and that's what I'm trying to figure out because, like, this is to the point I was saying about it being a cynical book. um, And I know Julia's just going to have to keep her mouth shut right now because she. Wait, but is this going to have a happy ending at all? Like, you know, it feels like it's not. To me. Uh, but then I'm wondering what I want the book to do. Like, do I want people to actually fall in love and be together? Or is that going to feel cheap and not reflective of the book, you know, that has been set up thus far, which is that, you know, real life is tougher than that. And you don't really always get what you want. And you're always kind of oppressed by your social status and, and your social, you know, your, your, your lot in life. Even if that means you're wealthy, it's still, you know, fetters. Right. Uh, to use a, a favorite George Eliot word, um, so I don't know. I'm, 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 I have no idea what I want. Like I, I I'm obviously compelled. I want it to be a happy ending for these people because I like the characters. But I, I would be disappointed if it's too, uh, too neat. Because that's what bothers me about Jane Austen, yeah. for instance. Lydgate so. will have to use a favorite term: a shuddering disappointment. There's mm-hmm. no way Lydgate succeeds. That's my belief. Yeah. Yeah. And so my belief Especially was, since he was set up as so successful in this book. And he has yeah, big blinders gonna... on. Um right. you know, and there's a lot of bad communication. He's not in a good marriage. But they're good blinders. But they're good oh, you think the marriage I, I, I think like all the stuff that he's ignoring, like, you know, shitty scientific you know, interpretations that people are making around him and that he's ignoring the gossip mill. Like, I think that's great. Like, so uh, I, the question with Lydgate as it stands, and I don't completely remember the ending, so I'm not like pushing towards anything is, can you afford, even if you're right, he's obviously right. Medically. Mm -hmm. Can you afford to be a dick to everyone? Mm. Good way to put it. That is the Lydgate struggle. Lydgate conundrum. Yeah. Her struggle is, you know, can you live in your absolute beliefs and still be happy? Um, I mean, mm. I'm not sure that's exactly right, but, you know, that, that's No, that it. sounds, yeah. Um, 
And then, like, the Fred Vinci plot, which I really like, even though it's really small. I is, do, too. Should you sell out <laughs> to be a priest <laughs> just no. to get... Yeah, um, we haven't talked about that section. Happy. I really loved that. Yeah, I love that Mary, you know, Mary Garth Garth. sort of calls him out and as, like, he's going to be horrible as a priest. Like, yeah. and, and I won't love him because he will have... And she calls it something, some kind of affectation. But but the way it's phrased is so... It was It's such a cool conflict. And again, it's that conflict between their social jobs and their love. You know, it's like yeah. it's always at odds. Everybody has that problem. And... Yeah, I, I really felt for Fred. Are you saying that Fred Vinci is the model for the priest in Fleabag? Is that what you're saying? <gasps> oh, my God. Mm. He is. Oh, my God. Right. I yep. think he might the be. The original hot priest. The original hot priest. <laughs> Fred well, Vinci. Was Fred described as hot? I just remember him being named Fred. <laughs> Fred is definitely hot. Are you kidding? He loves life. He loves riding around does... ruining horses. Come on. Right. Yeah. Wow, we are seeing Play, whist. the long tendrils of this book into all of modern culture. We got Dr. Fauci, we got Fleabag, there's a little Star Wars element to this. There's clearly a reference to Paul Rudd there's, on almost every other there's page. There's a clear Paul Rudd reference. <laughs> Timothy Literary Sh Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter, at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening. Back.